All right, everybody, good morning. Beautiful. The snow is so pretty driving in. Love it. I'm glad we don't have to drive through it, but... Um, Last class in this series on this first part of the means of grace, what we've kind of called Christian spirituality, um, going through the series on baptism. And this is the last question on the baptism section. Until we finish Lord's Supper, where we have one more that says, what's the difference between baptism and the Lord's Supper? But uh, for all intents and purposes, this is the last one on baptism. And it's uh, possibly the most relevant to us because the question is, how can we improve our baptism or namely make use of it? And we've been talking a lot about what baptism is and how it works and why we baptize the infants of a believing parent. But uh, this is really going to be relevant for everybody, no matter what one's conviction on baptism is. Um, Let's uh, ask the Lord's blessing as we come to this question. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do give us many signs and symbols and seals and all these ways you remind us that you love us and you remind us that you are for us and have good in store for all who repent and believe and just a wonderful eternal inheritance. And Lord, we ask that we would um, have great respect for this symbol of water baptism that you've given us, one of the few physical symbols. And Lord, that we would have it impress in our minds the needfulness of growing by means of this symbol you've given to us. So would you help us as we seek to study this from your word? For Jesus' sake and in his name, amen. Amen. So this question, 167, is a long answer, but it asks, how is baptism to be improved by us? And again, that improved there means more made use of, made useful to us. The answer is that the needful but much neglected duty of improving our baptism is to be performed by us all our life long, especially in the time of temptation and when we are present at the administration of it to others. And here's the ways it's improved. By serious and thankful consideration of the nature of it, of the ends for which Christ instituted it, the privileges and benefits conferred and sealed thereby, and our solemn vow made therein. By being humbled for our sinful defilements, our falling short of and walking contrary to the grace of baptism and our engagements. By growing up to assurance of pardon and of all other blessings sealed to us in that sacrament. By drawing strength from the death and resurrection of Christ into whom we are baptized for the mortifying of sin and quickening of grace. And by endeavoring to live by faith, to have our conversation and holiness and righteousness as those that have therein given up their names to Christ and to walk in brotherly love as being baptized by the same spirit into one body. So we begin just at the beginning of this answer. How is our baptism to be improved? And it says the needful but much neglected duty of improving our baptism is to be performed by us all our life long, especially in the time of temptation and when we are present at the administration of it to others. And so what's important to recognize right off the bat is that baptism is meant to be of more use to us than just the time we got baptized. And if that's really all it was, that, oh, your baptism was a useful spiritual experience for you at some time, that's not that relevant to most of our Christian life. So this is saying there's a usefulness for us in the sacrament, the grace, the means of grace of baptism that we can use for ourselves in times of temptation and when we are seeing other people being baptized. Um, If this was only a one-time use, it would be like hearing a sermon one time 20 years ago and trying to force yourself to always benefit from that sermon. But 
we are given continual messages from God, and in continual baptisms that we see our whole life long and our memory of it, uh, we derive benefit from it and ought to and, um, attach our faith to this symbol of God's grace. And so we can use this both as an individual act of meditation in times where we are tempted. Baptism can be useful to us, the symbol of it, but it's also useful as a corporate grace when we see others being baptized. It's not just for the person being baptized, but we are meant to benefit from that baptism as well. And so the preeminent text that really... um, When the Westminster Divines added the proof text, almost all the proof text for this whole paragraph came from Romans chapter 6. So that's really the um, eminent passage dealing with this idea. And so here's um, a couple verses from Romans 6. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Likewise, reckon yourselves also to be dead unto sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in many ways, Romans 6 is like a mini book of Ephesians, where it gives us indicatives and then imperatives. It talks about spiritual realities, these spiritual realities symbolized in baptism, the spiritual realities of union with Christ, meaning union in his death and his resurrection, all these great spiritual graces that baptism symbolizes, washing, grace, forgiveness. But then in light of that, moving on to what are our duties in light of this. So if this is true, that we've received this grace, this forgiveness, we need to walk contrary to sin. We need to, as verse 11 says, not let sin reign in our mortal bodies to obey its passions. But we ought to think of ourselves in a certain way, to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. That is, we have to really believe our identity, and then in light of that identity, walk it out. And baptism is useful in this because it gives us, in a really quick symbolic picture, a picture of all the blessings that we receive by faith. But then there's a call in the picture of baptism to also live a certain way. And in these two ways, of the reminders of these truths and the reminders of our duties, baptism can be useful to us um, our whole life long. And so this answer presents five ways that we can use baptism as a means of grace. So the first way is by a serious and thankful consideration of the nature of it, the ends for which Christ instituted it, the privileges and benefits conferred and sealed thereby, and our solemn vow made therein. So he's saying, when we take our time in our minds to meditate on all these aspects of baptism, Um, we gain a benefit from it, and the benefits are shown later. But um, here's the different things it talks about, really meditating on. Uh, The nature of baptism. So the nature of it as a visible sign and seal and symbol of the gospel of Jesus. We want to think about what that actually means. Secondly, we want to think about the ends for which God gave baptism. That is, to bring us into the family of the community of faith, and to strengthen and call us to greater faith. Um, It talks about thinking about the benefits and privileges that are conferred. 
Okay, and we have to distinguish here between the privileges and benefits that are conferred versus the ones that are sealed. The ones that are conferred to us are those external ones of participation in the faith community, being welcomed as part of the church. And the privileges and benefits that are sealed to us, and remember that's not sealed in us, but it's a seal of God's approval coming to us. The benefits that are sealed, that are presented to us with God's assurance, are all the benefits of salvation, justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification, regeneration, and union with Christ. And baptism reminds us of all those benefits that God is showing to us in one beautiful picture. And then lastly, we're to think about our solemn vow. That is our call then, in light of having this name put upon us, to live up to it and into it, to confess Christ's name and to live for Christ. And what this sort of thankful consideration does, this prayerful meditation, is it really helps stir us up to love for God and to a desire to really live for him. And so if you took a really similar thing to baptism as a marriage ceremony, a marriage ceremony is the initiation, or a wedding ceremony is the initiation into a marriage that you live into. Baptism is an initiation into a relationship in the church. And if you were thinking about these parts of your wedding ceremony, you could derive present benefit for it now. So if you thought of, if you just took time to think of the nature of that wedding ceremony, that by it two are becoming one by means of covenant, or the ends of it, that this is your entrance into a life for partnership, procreation, and for purity, of the privileges and benefits that come from um, spurring off of that ceremony, namely that exclusivity, that intimacy, that mutual help. And then you think of the vow you make in it, that vow to faithful love. And if you were to set your mind, just remember all those things that your wedding ceremony symbolized, that would bless your marriage today. It would remind you of why you're doing what you're doing, the relationship that you're in and everything that that means to you and how you want to be faithful and love your spouse now. And so in the same way, when you look at those symbols of baptism, you're reminded of the vow that you have unto God, whether a vow you made yourself or one that your parents brought you into, um, that you are in a relationship with God that you need to live into and serve him with your whole heart, to trust him and obey him, to remember what he's called you to as a Christian. So these symbols of baptism, when reflected on, they stir up your heart with love for Christ and a desire to live for him. Um, any comments or questions on that so far? All right, so that's the first use. The second use of baptism is that by being humbled for our sinful defilements, our falling short of and walking contrary to the grace of baptism and our engagements. Okay, so we improve our baptism when we use it to humble ourselves. And right away, baptism, no matter the f amount of water, it's a washing ceremony. And the fact that baptism exists reminds us of our need to be washed that we come into this world, even a young child comes into this world defiled by the guilt of Adam's sin. And therefore we all have need to be washed by Christ, no matter how seemingly moral someone's life is. And so we're, we're reminded of our guilt, our corruption, our defilements, these sins we commit. But you see here that we're also reminded of the good things we omit doing. That is, we walk contrary to the grace of baptism and our engagements. 
which is to say that we don't live up to our gospel privileges and we don't always walk worthy of the gospel. We don't walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called. And so um, from the youngest age up to now, we're always in a sense, we have that need to be washed because we don't even live into what it means to truly be a disciple of Christ in our baptism. And so we still always need that purifying work of the Spirit in our life, that continual daily confession of sin and repentance. And baptism helps remind us of that. No matter how clean someone might feel, we have need of Christ's daily washing. And being reminded of sort of these vows that we've made to God to live for him, um, to think about that, to reflect where we're falling short, can help us examine ourselves for how to live. So I, I have printed out um, in our bedroom like a list of the resolutions Julie and I gave to each other when we got married. Um, we like did the classic vows, but then we added a set of resolutions of how we want to live to each other. And so occasionally when I read that, I'm reminded, like, oh yeah, that's what I'm committed to. That's what I want to do. That's how I want to live as a husband. And it helps reignite that desire um, to live as the way I ought. And so this call we see um, in Romans 6, 2 to 3, this idea of how shall we that are dead in sin live any longer therein? Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And this, this picture that when we are being baptized into Christ's death, we are meant to be, pardoned, um, to be parted from our sin, to be dead to sin. And so we need to be reminded of our identity to live in this new life of holiness because that's what we've been washed to do. Uh, so third use for our baptisms is that we can improve them by growing up to assurance of pardon of sin and of all other blessings sealed to us in that sacrament. So remember, the point of the seal, the idea of sealing, baptism being a seal of God's promises, means that they are presented to us with the full assurance of God himself, that God will keep his promise. Um, what's symbolized in baptism isn't this maybe that, you know, God will cleanse some people and, um, you know, this might last for the next hundred years and then things might change, but it's baptism is sealing with God's seal of approval, what we're told in Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's what is presented to us, is this assurance saying that everyone, just as surely as this person washed with water will be clean, everyone who calls on God's name will be saved. Everyone who repents will be forgiven. Everyone who believes will be saved. And God will never go back on that promise. He will never void it because God keeps his word. And baptism reminds us that. And we need this continual reminder because some of us have trouble truly believing God's promises. Um, this Even this simple promise that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We struggle with the doubts of, well, am I holy enough for God to save me? May, I think I'm too sinful. I think my faith is too weak. I don't know if I called on God in the right way. I don't know if I called on God in the right manner. Um, my holiness seems so fragile. And so you wonder that, well, in my situation, I'm not quite sure this promise is for me. I'm not quite sure I can take God at his word. 
And baptism is meant to remind us that God keeps his word, that as surely as the water washes, so surely God saves those who call on his name. And so in this sense, you can actually think of baptism as a visible assurance of pardon, right? So we practice every morning service here. We confess our sins together. And then the pastor reads an assurance of pardon from scripture, a promise like this, that through Christ we find forgiveness, because we don't just need to learn the practice of confessing our sin. We need to learn the practice of, by faith, remembering God's forgiveness and how sure his forgiveness is, how steadfast those promises are. And baptism, allow that, when you watch it, to be a visible assurance of pardon, that God saves, God forgives, God cleanses, God renews and regenerates. And so this is a visible picture of the pardon God gives, and that should help strengthen our faith. Uh, that, that making sense? Any comments or questions on these last two? All right, fourthly, we improve our baptism by drawing strength from the death and resurrection of Christ into whom we are baptized for the mortifying of sin and the quickening of grace. So again here, physical baptism, it symbolizes spiritual baptism. That is a dying to sin, a being forgiven from sin and living to God in union with Christ. There's this Christ union Romans 6 talks about that baptism is meant to symbolize a true baptism into Christ's death and a raising to walk in new life with Christ. And so when we believe in Christ, this union is real. And so we can say that by faith, I'm so united to Christ that when Christ dies to sin, I die to sin. And when Christ is raised to new life, I am raised to new life. And this is really our true identity and then our call to live up into our true identity. Again, consider these verses from Romans 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. So that's like a definitive reality there. The one who has died in Christ has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is a consideration. This is a mindset we have to have that in Christ, we must think of ourselves as truly dead to sin and alive to God, truly set free from sin and enabled to walk in a new life of obedience. Baptism reminds us not just of the forgiveness of sin, but the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit that enables us to leave that actually behind in the water and to walk in a new way of life, a new way of obedience and Christ-likeness. And so baptism reminds us that Christ our Savior has freed us from sin's dominion, but baptism also reminds us that Christ has made us new creatures by his Spirit. And so we need to consider ourselves by our true identity, holy, righteous people in Christ, but called to live up to and into that identity by actually seeking to subjectively walk out lives of holiness. We improve our baptism by allowing it to remind us to mortify sin and to be strong in grace. 
And lastly, um, this is kind of the aspect of the vow of baptism. We improve our baptism by endeavoring to live by faith, to actually live up to and into what it actually represents. And so the baptismal vow is a vow to be enrolled as an apprentice to Christ, to be his disciple, to seek to learn his ways, even from the youngest age, to be learning how to live as a Christian, to live by faith, to grow up in faith. Um, to live by faith, to have our conversation in holiness and righteousness. Baptism reminds us of that call to live in a new way of cleanness and purity. Romans 6.22, But now being made free from sin and having become servants of God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. The whole point of what baptism represents in salvation, again, I've said this many times, salvation is unto something. It's unto fruitfulness, a life of obedience and love to God. You have your fruit unto holiness. And this is for those that have therein given up their names to Christ. And so again, we're reminded baptism is a naming ceremony. Just as a child, when they're born, takes the last name of their family, a Christian takes this name Christ, one who is, in a sense, called to live in this family likeness. And we're called to live up to it and into it. In Acts 2.38, Peter says to the people, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why we apply the name of God in baptism, because we're reminded that this is a name we're called to live into. And also to walk in brotherly love as being baptized by the same spirit into one body. And so, again, baptism reminds us of our union, not just with Christ, but with the body of Christ, all the people of God who have likewise received this right. And we are called to love them as our own bodies. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free and have been made all to drink of one spirit, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. So when we next see a baptism, we ought to be reminded that we are a part of a baptized community that are all part of the body of Christ, one body. And therefore, we should have the same care for our brothers and sisters that we have for ourselves, to love one another as Christ has loved us. And those are the five things that baptism reminds us of. And if you were to parse them out and summarize them, as I was trying to think through this, you know, how can we actually put this in our memory and um, have this simply? So the summary, I would say that baptism reminds us first of the presence of sin, right? Because it's a washing ceremony, it reminds us of our guilt and need of forgiveness. It reminds us secondly of the pardon of sin, that God is the one that washes and cleanses and forgives and redeems. It reminds us also of the power to mortify or put to death sin. It reminds us of resurrection power, not just cleanness, but new life, new life power. And then lastly, it reminds us of that promise we make to oppose sin, that is our new obedience. And so you can think of that in the whole symbolism, the dirtiness, then the washing, um, kind of the first half, right? Our sin, and then the washing and forgiveness of sin. But secondly, the leaving from there, a new life being started, and the vow of that new life to follow God. 
So the dying half and the resurrecting half. And you might even notice in there some of that classic Heidelberg catechism flow of that guilt, grace, then gratitude, or misery, deliverance, gratitude, sin, salvation, service. Um, And if I was really to try to distill all this into one sentence that I want to put to my memory to use every time I see a baptism, every time I'm feeling tempted, something I need to remember, think of that washing. And think how baptism reminds us that God forgives sin and empowers new obedience. Okay, That is really how I would summarize this whole paragraph, is that baptism is meant to remind us that God forgives sin and empowers new obedience. And for us who've believed in Christ, to personalize that and to use just this picture of baptism, when we see a baptism being performed, when we feel under just the temptations of Satan, to remember that God does truly forgive my sin and God empowers me to live a new life. God forgives my sin and empowers my obedience. Therefore, I don't need to sit back and think that I'm so defeated. How could I ever walk in holiness? How could I ever defeat this persistent sin in my life? I'm reminded, no, I'm forgiven, cleansed, and empowered to obey. And that, that just that picture of water, cleansing, um, releasing, new life freedom, it's just a beautiful picture that we can keep in our minds as just a flow. Um, I don't even know, uh, ways you, like you could even imagine just different water symbolism. Imagine standing under a waterfall. And when, um, in John 1, when it talks about that Jesus gave us grace upon grace, I always love, I always think of a waterfall. Like it's unending. You're under it and it's not going to stop. Grace upon grace upon grace. And as real as that is, so God forgives sin after sin after sin and allows us to walk in new life. So, baptism reminds us that God forgives our sin and empowers our obedience. And by being reminded of that frequently, it helps us live into that, to live as the people of God. And so we want to be people that make use of baptism, not just think, oh, that's a cute thing that's happening. Look at that over there. But I'm being reminded of the gospel right now. And my faith can be built up and strengthened as I see this gospel symbol that God's given to us to strengthen our faith in a visceral, real way. Um, Anyways, that's what I got on that. Uh, We have a good amount of time if anyone has any comments, questions, either about this one or really this whole um, segment we've done on baptism. Um, We have some time, and if not, we can go early. Yes, Jane. I just think this whole class has been so helpful to me. Each one has been really, really excellent and helped understand because it's kind of been a jumble and this and that and everything. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate the encouragement. Uh, You know, I think I've found... um, a lot of times, even people that believe in pedo-baptism, they don't understand it very well. And people hear different snippets of, we do it because of this, or just things like, it's just because of the covenant, but no one really knows what because of the covenant means. And I feel like for myself, having to try to work through the topic coming from a Baptistic upbringing, and it's like a fully flip in your way of thinking. Like, it's totally opposite in a lot of ways. And so it's really hard to get your head around, but as I've tried to work it through to make sense in my own mind, um, I've been trying to, you know, figure a lot of those things out. Um, 
Oh, and I noticed there are still some more resource, baptism resource papers, if anyone wants, um, that I'd printed off last week. Um, but yeah, you're all invited to Kaya's baptism, and I hope it just won't be cute and pretty, but that it'll actually strengthen your faith in the reality of God's forgiveness that comes to you and the power of the Spirit he gives you to walk a new life. And for us, what this means is that it's more than just saying, um, and actually it's interesting, most Baptist churches do baby dedications, which is basically doing the same thing we believe. It's, it's this implicit recognition that we are going to raise our daughter in the faith. And from the earliest age, we're going to be teaching her to pray. We're going to be teaching her to know God's word and to live as a Christian. And we want her to, um, at some point that might be invisible to us, as her mind grows, to internalize these realities and make them her own, to truly trust the Christ whose name she bears as part of the church community, and to truly repent of her sin, and at that point realize that what her baptism symbolized to us it can now symbolize that to her as a reality in her life. And so even now, our faith is going to be strengthened by her baptism. But as her mind grows, she will be able to be strengthened in her faith by her own baptism once she comes to understand what that truly means and what those symbols are, that God offered himself to her and said, I will be your God, and I will take you as my own if you will trust me. And that God promised that to her from a week or two or three or however long it'll be old, and that she gets to know that God was calling her from birth through his church. He was calling her to be his servant, and she gets the privilege of walking in that from a young age, hopefully never knowing a time apart. And so that's our prayer for baptism for Kaya and also for ourselves in it. But um, anyways, why don't we pray, and then if you have other things, you can come talk to me personally. Heavenly Father, we again thank you that you forgive sin, that you don't just forgive some sin and leave the rest for us to pay off in some purgatory, but that you forgive all sin. And that you not only forgive our sins, but you're faithful and just to cleanse us from unrighteousness and to bring us into a new way of life. Thank you that though we will wrestle against the flesh our whole life long, we are no longer under sin's dominion as your people, but that you have given us your spirit to empower a new life of obedience. And so we ask for strength and faith even today, strength and reminders and assurances of your pardon and strength and conviction to truly live as Christians, to live as Christ's disciples in this world, to shine his light, to share his grace. So we ask your help and that your means of grace and worship this morning would strengthen our faith to that end as well. And we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.